0: Good morning, everyone. Good morning. My Bible is open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'll encourage you to get a Bible out and crank it over to 2 Thessalonians, the first chapter. We will be starting there and then we'll be in a number of different places throughout the Bible for the next few minutes as we get ready to consider some good things, some very valuable things, I believe, from the Word of God. And as you're turning to Second Thessalonians chapter 1, I'll just say that it is great to see everybody. This beautiful, beautiful Lord's Day morning. Got a great number with us. Got a number of guests. I think some some first-time guests with us and some repeat guests. And we're just really glad and delighted that you've come our way and hope and trust that everything that you find us doing here and being engaged in is, is in line with the teaching of the New Testament. And that's what we're trying to be about is just following the pattern that's found there. And if you have a question or a concern of anything that you hear or see going on today, you be be a friend and point that out to us. Be glad to sit down and talk about those things with an open Bible. This morning we return to our preaching theme for 2019 about different areas where we want to grow and increase in our service to the Lord. And in fact, those two ideas of growing and increasing, those two words can actually be found in the same verse right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. I'm looking in verse number 3 where Paul says there... We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. What a wonderful commendation Paul gives to that church there at Thessalonica. That they were growing abundantly in their faith. That speaks to their vertical relationship with God. And as well, they were increasing in their love for one another. That speaks to the horizontal relationships that they had as brothers and sisters in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if those exact same things could be said about the church, the church here at Lakeside? That our faith is growing abundantly? And furthermore, that our love for one another, that it is increasing and abounding. I hope that those things could be said about us because the fact of the matter is none of us is ever going to reach a point where we're able to say, oh yeah, I've I've got all the faith that I need. I've I've kind of topped out on faith. And oh yeah, my love. Yep, my love. I've maxed out on love. Just don't have any room for any more. No. None of us are going to reach that point. Those are areas that we can constantly be growing and increasing, constantly excelling in throughout the duration of our time here on this earth. And Lord willing, we will talk about the first part of that equation, that growing in faith thing. We'll talk about that next month. But this morning, I'd like to focus on the second half of that equation. That business of growing and increasing in our love for one another. I'd like to talk about our love for one another as the family of God and specifically about how we can grow closer to one another. Now, if we were going to talk this morning about the idea of growing in our faith, Everybody knows that a huge key, a huge component to that is that we're going to need to spend time with the Lord. We're going to spend time with the Lord in prayer, spend time with Him in worship, spend time with Him in reading His Word. If you want to grow closer to God and grow your faith, then well, then you're going to need to spend some time with God. That's kind of a no-brainer. Well, this morning I'm going to suggest to you that when it comes to growing closer to our brothers and sisters in Christ, it really is exactly the same we are going to have to spend time together. And while it is absolutely true that the time that we spend together within these four walls, as we come together and we sing and we pray, as we've already done this morning, as there is teaching that goes on, as we give of our means, as we observe the Lord's Supper together, all of that is critically important. And I want you to know, nothing will ever replace that. It is also true though, that the time that we spend together in this environment is actually rather minimal when you stop and think about it. I did the math. We only spend, on average, somewhere between 2 and 2.5% two and of our entire weeks together whenever we come together in this place. And I don't care how you slice that, That's just that's just not a lot of time together. And you know, it's really hard to get to know people. And it's really hard to get to serve people when you're with each other that infrequently. And that is why I believe that the Lord wants us to be fostering and deepening these relationships with one another beyond the parameters of the local church assembly. In fact, even beyond the parameters of 500 Ritchie Lane and the associated property here. I believe the Lord wants us to have a whole lot more than just church-building familiarity. You know what I'm talking about here? where We're able to say, hey, how you doing? Good to see you shake some hands. And we pat each other on the back, maybe even give a side hug if we're a little bit crazy there. We do all of those kinds of formalities with one another. God wants more than that out of His children. God wants us to spend time with one another on a more personal level. In fact, in a more personal setting. And I believe that the setting that the Lord has designed for that to take place in is in our homes. Now I think it's going to be evident as we kind of work along for the next few minutes this morning that our homes are not the only place that we can deepen our relationships with one another. But I am going to talk about using our homes for that purpose because the Bible talks an awful lot about using our homes for that purpose. Whenever we share home life together, That just helps to bring Christians closer together, which in turn helps us to just carry out all kinds of one another sorts of things that the Bible commands us to do, like bearing one another's burdens, confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another. We're better able to weep with one another and rejoice with one another. We're better able to know each other's strengths and each other's weaknesses. We're better able to love and serve one another. The list of benefits of being together outside of this building, the list of benefits just is a mile long whenever I use my home to touch your home. And while Tiffany and I, we do feel like we do a, at least a pretty good job in that, we both believe we could do better and we want to do better in that. And this morning, maybe as we talk about these things, you'll end up arriving at that exact same conclusion as we talk about growing in this vitally important area of Christian service. Now, we don't have time to look at all of the passages on this subject this morning, but I do want to notice just a handful of verses right here at the outset that shows us the example of those Christians who lived during the first century, who lived and labored under the time of the apostles. I am convinced that one of the reasons that the early church started so strong, and you can be finding Acts chapter 2 in your Bible, One of the reasons the early church started so strong is because these Christians not only saw the need for each other, but I believe they wanted each other. They wanted to be together. Look in Acts chapter 2. Here's the beginning of it all. After 3,000 souls have obeyed the gospel on the day of Pentecost, we are told in Acts chapter 2 and in verse 42 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship "...and to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together, and they had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. I want you to understand that these people were people who have come from every corner of the globe. You look back in chapter 2 and verses 9, 10, and 11 there. You read about all the different places where all these people have come from and now they've converged on the city of Jerusalem and they've come there to observe the festival, the feast of Pentecost and they had no idea what was going to end up happening. You read the events that unfold in Acts chapter 2. These people had no clue that this is what was going to happen. Nobody planned when they were making their preparations to travel to Jerusalem. Nobody was planning that they were going to go there and they were going to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and they were going to obey the gospel and they were going to become Christians and they were going to begin this new life walking and serving and following Jesus. Nobody planned for that. Nobody expected that. But that's exactly what happened. And so now, all of a sudden, there's all these Christians that are together in this one place. And what are they doing? Well, verse 42 tells us that they're together in worship. I believe that's what verse 42 is talking about, It's worship. They're together in the temple, verse 46 goes on to say. They're together in observing the apostles' teaching, the apostles' miracles. But I want you to notice that they are together even in a broader sense, even beyond just spiritual activities. They are, verse 46, they are together in... In homes, I like how the King James renders verse 46, from house to house, they were spending time together. They were sharing together. They were even, they were eating together. And by the way, you realize the Bible says a lot about people of faith, about believers eating together. You realize that, don't you? You know, I think sometimes just because we don't use the church treasury to fund meals, what happens is is we get to thinking that we shouldn't talk about Christians eating together. Well, I read the New Testament and there's a lot of Christians eating together. Those folks understood that being in each other's homes and having those meals together and having that kind of personal one-on-one time with their brethren, that it was so valuable And that's why it should come as no surprise to us as you flip the page to Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4, we're told in verse 32 about these people. Acts 4 verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed, they were of one heart and one soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Look at that expression. One heart and one soul. Even though at this point in time you had literally thousands of hearts, the love and the camaraderie and the fellowship of these believers, it was so strong, it's as if they were pumping and they were beating as just one heart. One heart. It wasn't like you see in so many churches today where people and the members are they're fractured and they're splintered where you got some over here and you got some over there and these over here are not talking to them over there and them over there are not talking to these over here that's not what's going on in Acts chapter 4 no it's one heart and one soul in fact i think acts 432 may actually be the gold standard for christian unity in the new testament now somebody may say as we read acts 2 and acts 4 somebody may say well okay yeah There was a lot of sharing there. There was a lot of spending time with one another, a lot of time in each other's homes back then. But, you know, that was a really unique situation, Josh, what was going on there in Jerusalem and the days of Pentecost and the events that followed afterwards. And I'll grant you that, yeah, it was a unique situation. But the idea of Christians being together, opening up their homes to one another, it most certainly is not unique in the New Testament. Look in Acts 16. In Acts the 16th chapter, I want to look at just one isolated example of this. In Acts 16, as Paul and Silas come to the city of Philippi, in Acts chapter 16, we're told that they meet a woman named Lydia. In Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 14, one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira. She was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. I like the kind of flow of events there. God opened up Lydia's heart, and in turn, Lydia then opened up her home. She brought Paul and Silas and whoever else was in his company, brought them into her house. And she did that, I believe, not just as an act of kindness and as an act of generosity, but I believe it's because she wanted to be with Christians. She wanted to talk with them and learn from them. She wanted to spend time with this, her new family. Now, of course, time is not going to allow us to look at all the other examples of this kind of thing in the book of Acts. We don't have time to look at all the occasions in Paul's letter where Paul talks about staying with folks and going to people's houses. I'm thinking specifically about his letter to Philemon. We could talk as well about Galatians chapter 2 where Peter is rebuked by Paul for acting hypocritically, but actually before Peter acted hypocritically, Galatians chapter 2 says he was doing what? He was actually eating with those Gentile Christians. He was doing what he should have been doing. He was spending time with his brothers and sisters in Christ. Over and over again, the Bible shows us these these little miniature portraits of believers in each other's homes. They're around the dinner table. They're sharing together. They're growing closer to one another. And I'm going to suggest to you this morning that if we are going to restore New Testament Christianity, if we are the kind of people who say what we say, that we're going to strive to do Bible things in Bible ways, then we need to start right here. Here's a good place to begin. We need to see the value of being together as God's children, just like those early Christians did in the first century that we seek to model ourselves after. Now, maybe right here would be a good time and a good place for me to just maybe say a word or two about the blessing of being in each other's homes and being together in that kind of social sort of way. As a preacher, I have the privilege and I have the opportunity to be in so many people's homes, not just here, but whenever I get to go and preach in other places as well. And i got to tell you, I consider that really to be just one of the great fringe benefits of preaching because I get to spend real quality time in the homes and in the presence of so many brothers and sisters in Christ. Whenever I'm invited to go and to preach in a meeting and they ask me if I'm given the opportunity, hey, would you rather be put up in a hotel Or here's a family, they said they'd host you and you could stay in their house. I always choose to stay with the family. I always choose to be with brethren. In fact, I've been in some places multiple times, so much so that I'm just kind of a repeat guest in their home. They'll even say to me, Hey, you know where your room is? Your room. That's your room and your back. That touches me. That means a lot to me. Sometimes I go places where... I don't know anybody. I'm kind of going in cold and don't really know anybody in the congregation at all. That actually was the case a week and a half ago or a couple of weeks ago when I went to West Carrollton, Ohio. Didn't really know anybody there. Kind of knew from a distance the guy that was the preacher there, but that was really just about it. And what I have found is that really one of the best icebreakers for me is whenever I get to go and just start doing home life with some brothers and sisters. I get up when they get up. And that means I get to go to the kitchen when they're going to the kitchen. And all of us, when we're there in the kitchen and we're kind of waking up and getting the sleep rubbed out of our eyes, we're all sitting there and we've all got our bed head on. So here's some people who normally I would never see without their home, their hair just so perfectly manicured, and they would always have their church clothes on and just look so official and pristine as we all look this morning. But here we all are, right there at the kitchen table, sipping orange juice with our bed head. And what happens is, is as the week progresses on, I'm getting to know them. And I'm getting to learn them and their habits and their idiosyncrasies and their personalities. And I begin to like them. And I start to grow close to them, even though just a few days prior, I didn't even know these people. I was in a meeting last year. I remember it was the year before last. And, and, and I got to the house of the, the hosting family on Saturday night. That's usually when I try to get there around 8, 8.30, kind of wait until after dinner time. That way the lady of the house doesn't have to worry about fixing supper for me. And as soon as I got to the house and got all my luggage and stuff unloaded and took into the house, I went ahead and kind of got into my got into my PJs for the evening. Went and put my sweatpants on, put my t-shirt on, came then into the living room where they were sitting down and I just plopped down on the couch with them. And I didn't have shoes on, just had my socks on. I was, I was modest, you know, don't want to make sure I wasn't immodest. But coming there, just sat down and for the last hour, hour and a half of the evening, just sat there and just just chatted and just visited the night away. And the week then went on. The week went by. It was a great gospel meeting. Great great week with the church there. Really enjoyed that week. And at the end of that week, that hosting couple, they came up to me and they said, you know what? We knew it was going to be a good week. We knew it was going to be a good week when you came out in your jammies. (laughs) And you know what I think they meant by that? I think they meant, you know what? It just meant a lot to us that you weren't uptight. That you weren't stiff. In fact, when we saw you come out in your pajamas, what we realized was, you were real. And we felt like we could be real with you. Hey, look, you put on pajamas too, just like we do. And I'm going to tell you this morning, that as we begin to see each other as being real, and not the perfect, got-it-all-together version of ourselves that we present on Sundays and on Wednesdays, then what happens is, is slowly but surely, those defenses start to come down. And we're able to start getting to know each other and talking about some real stuff, like our struggles in this life and the trials that we face. And I'm able to learn about your family and they're able to learn about my family. And we get to laugh together and we get to shed tears together. And we're connecting with one another on a deep and personal level, I believe, just like those Christians in Acts. And all of that happens where? All of that happens best in a home what I'm trying to convey to you this morning is that you cannot, you will not, you will not get that here at this building in the ten minutes after services when we're standing in the foyer and engaged in such deep conversations as the weather. You're just not going to get that here, folks. You're not going to get that kind of closeness that a family ought to have. Look in Mark the 10th chapter, please. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus wanted us to have this kind of close family relationship with one another. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus knew ahead of time that he was going to have some disciples who were going to end up losing their houses. They were going to end up losing their families. Why? Because they chose to follow Jesus. Some people are going to have mothers and fathers or they're going to have brothers and sisters who are just going to turn against them the moment that they become a Christian. And Jesus knew about that. And what did Jesus provide in its place? Mark chapter 10, I'm looking here at verse 29. Mark 10, 29, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Jesus says, you may lose everything, and you may lose everybody for my sake, but when you follow me, you're going to get a hundred times than what you had before. What are you going to get? Jesus says, verse 30, I'm going to give you houses. Plural. Houses. And brothers. And sisters. And mothers. Plural. And children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. That... That's what I've got in Christ Jesus. That I've got family. I've got houses. I've got houses all over the United States that I've been in. I've got lands. I've got all of these things everywhere. And those things are there to provide a blessing for me as God's child. And I, in turn, have been given those things to provide a blessing for you as God's child. What a special purpose our homes and the things that associate with that. What a special purpose that can serve for one another. Now, as soon as I start painting this picture of how beautiful these these kinds of house-to-house relationships can be, somebody's going to immediately just start rattling off some excuses. Somebody's going to start just ripping off all kinds of reasons as to why they can't use their home. Or maybe more appropriately, why they won't use their home and they won't be involved in the lives of their brothers and sisters outside of these four walls. So let me just address some of those reasons. First of all, let me tell you about some of the hindrances They keep Christians from spending time together like they should. And one of the biggest things that I have found, one of the biggest hindrances is is that sometimes there are just some Christians who just don't want to be close. They don't want to let their brothers and sisters into their lives. They just don't want to have that kind of close familiarity with the family of God. Now, if just saying that, if that sounds totally contrary to Christianity, you're right. Because it is. I'm looking in 2 Corinthians 6 now. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is actually having a hard time here because some people had come into Corinth and they were saying some bad things about him. And as a result, many of the Corinthian brethren, they had closed themselves off to Paul. They're just not letting Paul get in. The things that he has to say, the kind of relationship he wants to have with them, they just, they just got up a big wall. And so Paul makes this plea and this appeal to them in 2 Corinthians 6 and in verse 11. Paul says, we have spoken freely to you, Corinthians. Notice this. Our heart, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. Paul says, the reason that I can't get close to you, Corinthians, is because you won't let me. You've put up this barrier between us. He continues on in verse 13. He says, In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. Get your hearts opened up. Drop down into chapter 7. Look in verse 2. He says, Make room in your hearts for us. We've wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. Let me tell you folks, that... That's the way that it ought to be. I, I'm speaking as Paul here, I, I want to live with you. And for the past five and a half years, I've had the blessed opportunity to get to live with you. And I hope that by the grace of God, one day I can die with you. But what Paul says here is he says, the only way that's going to happen is is if you open up. Because that's what God wants for us. That's how a family works. Don't shut yourself up in your homes and keep you and, and the rest of God's family, keep all of us at arm's length. No. Stretch a little. Open up. Give it a try. See how good and great it can be when you let the family of God into your life. And then sometimes, sometimes the reason folks don't open up their homes and as a result open up their hearts is because it's because they just have feelings of inadequacy. People say things like, you oh know, my... My home just isn't really nice enough to have people over. My house is just too messy. I'm just not a good cook and I really can't, can't make a meal for folks. You know, I don't have lots of finery like lots of other people do. I don't have the resources that many others have and I can't really, you know, make a meal and provide, I can't take somebody out to eat either. My house is too small. Can I just tell you very candidly, Some of the greatest memories that I have ever had with other Christians have happened in very modest homes. Many of those memories happened in a modest home that I grew up in as a child. And you know why those memories are as great as they are? Because it's not about the finery. It's not about the stuff or the the things that are there. It's about hearts that love each other. That's what makes it great. It's like that slogan. I've seen it on on various home decor. Maybe you've seen it as well. It says, if you're coming to see my house, call and make an appointment. But if you're coming to see me, come anytime you like. And that's exactly right. Brother, sister, I don't want your house. I'm not concerned about your house. I want you. I want you and my family. That's who I want. Now, if you're one of those people who maybe you're a little bit reserved about all that because... Maybe you're a little bit of a neat freak. I've been known to be a little bit that way. Maybe you're the kind of person that after you vacuum your house, you take a dustbuster and vacuum your vacuum. Maybe you're that kind of person. That's okay. I understand about that. But again, if I want to take a tour of your home, I'll call you up and ask if you'll give me the 50 cent tour. But in the meantime, what I want is I just want to spend time with you. That's what I want. And what we so desperately need to get away from is this thinking that our house needs to be a showcase for others. That's not what our houses need to be about. I was in a meeting in eastern Kentucky a few years ago, and there was a brother in the congregation who wanted to invite the preacher over for supper one night. And we went over there, and it was a place that, I'll just be honest with you, just the best way I know to describe it, is it was a shack. Just a little four-room shack. And that evening he folded out a card table and that's where we ate dinner. And we had paper plates and we ate ham sandwiches and we had water that was drawn from a well in the back of his yard. And I will tell you, we had the absolute best time that evening. We got to know each other. We talked about substantive things. We talked about the scriptures. We talked about the Lord's church. We shared a common bond I'll never forget. He hated mowing his grass as much as I do. I mean, we just hit it off right away. It was wonderful. Look with me in 2 Kings chapter 4. In 2 Kings chapter 4, uh, this is an event during the life of Elisha the prophet. Uh, Notice what's said in 2 Kings chapter 4, as Elisha is going here and there to spread the various messages that God has given to him. In 2 Kings chapter 4, beginning in verse 8, one day Elisha went on to Shunem, where a woman lived who urged him to eat some food. And so whenever he passed that way, he would turn in there to eat food. And she then said to her husband, Behold now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is continually passing our way. Let us make a small room on the roof with walls, and let's put there for him a bed, a table, a chair, and a lamp, so that whenever He comes to us, He can go in there. And one day, verse 11, Elisha came there, and he turned into the chamber, and he rested there. Did you take notice of that? A small room. A small room with a bed, and a table, and a chair, and a lamp. Did you notice how none of those four things are about finery? Those are just four useful and needful and helpful things. And I'm going to tell you, if I go to somebody's house and they give me a small room with a bed and a table and a chair and a lamp where if I want to study my lesson that evening into the night hours, I'm able to see some things, then I'm going to tell you, I've got everything that I need. What more could I possibly ask for? Well, let me say this. Even if it is a fine house, that's okay too. That's wonderful as well. I have enjoyed being in the homes of people who, in my estimation, they had mansions. Just mansions. And yet the people who owned those homes, the Christians who lived in those places, they were as humble and as down to earth as you could have possibly imagined. They weren't showing off, no. They were just people who were eager to share what God had blessed them. They were trying to be the kind of people Paul talks about in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verses 17 and 18 when Paul says to charge those who are rich in this world not to be haughty, but instead to share what they've been blessed with. And I'm going to tell you one of the things that I love about this congregation is that there are people here who are rich. And I mean by American standards are rich. But you'd never know it. You'd never know it because of the way that they share their lives and the way they share their blessings, and the way they share their hearts, and the way they share their homes with all the rest of us. I think about James chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, where James talks there about the lowly brother, how he's able to boast in his exaltation. And then in verse 10, the rich brother, he's able to boast in his humiliation. I think what that passage is talking about is how the gospel lifts up the poor man, and it brings down the rich man, to where both the poor and the rich they meet on level ground at the foot of the cross of Jesus. And I'm going to tell you, when you have Christians who have that kind of proper understanding of the price that was paid to redeem all of us from sin, then it doesn't matter how big or how small your house is, then all of us are just going to end up seeing each other exactly the same. We're all just a bunch of forgiven sinners trying to help each other to get to heaven. And then what about this last one? What about this hindrance that Christians often use to spending time together and this is very much the one for our age? What about this business of busyness? It's just too busy. Just got too much going on. Yeah, it's just too much effort and, and work to, to, to put all that together and have a meal and have people over in my home and organize all that. Does, does any of that sound like the signs of our times? You know, Martha gets a really bad rap in Luke chapter 10 for being too busy. But I'm going to give Martha this. She wasn't too busy to have people in her home. She deserves at least some credit for that. I preached before on busyness. In fact, it was just last summer. I preached a whole sermon on busyness. So I'm not going to belabor this point. But I will reiterate my concern that I have, not just for us here, but just for Christians in the 21st century that I believe we busy ourselves with way too many trivial things and we're not nearly as busy with the kinds of things that have eternal and lasting implications, namely, growing closer to our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And if this busyness thing, if it strikes an nerve with any of you this morning, I'm going to tell you, you're the only one that can do something about that. I I can't do something about that. You're going to have to fix that. You're going to have to make some decisions. You're going to have to trim the fat a little bit. You're going to have to make the kingdom of God a priority. You're going to have to do like Ephesians says. You're going to have to redeem the time. And then as far as this kind of, this kind of goes along with it, this business here, of it's just a lot of effort. It's a lot of work. It's too hard. It's too time-consuming to, to get the house cleaned up and to get a meal prepared and to have brethren over. Can I invite you to 1 Peter chapter 4? 1 Peter chapter 4 will do something about that. In 1 Peter chapter 4, sometimes we act like we're just so put out that we have to do things for our brethren. Well, look at 1 Peter chapter 4. This is what God says. In 1 Peter chapter 4, I'm reading in verse 8, Peter says, above all, of everything, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, show hospitality to one another, look at this, without grumbling. God says, I want you to be put out for your brethren. And you know what? I don't want to hear you fuss about it. I don't want to hear you gripe and complain about it. You need this. We need to make time for one another. Why? Because as Peter says here, because we love one another. Because we love one another earnestly. In fact, this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 4, it provides for us not just one, but actually two powerful motivators for us to be more involved in the lives of one another. The first of those is, of course, what he says there in verse 8, and that is love. But then secondly, notice how Peter continues the reading. Verse 10, actually, let's read verse 9 again. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Verse 10 now. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace our stewardship to God it demands that we serve one another as each has received a gift you realize that that's that's actually a very broad statement there that's not just talking about gifts in the sense that we sometimes use it in the in the sense of like talents and abilities it can include that but that can include a number of things that could be that could be your money that could be your time that could be yes That could be even your house. Whatever it is. Peter says you're going to use that to serve one another as a good steward. What's a steward? A steward is somebody who recognizes that the things that we have, they are given to us by the Creator of the universe. And it is my job now to make sure that I utilize and I manage those gifts in the way that honors and pleases the One who gave it. And so the question is, how am I using the resources and the blessings that God has entrusted to me as His steward, how am I using those things to minister, verse 10, to my brothers and my sisters in Christ? Am I stewarding my home in a way that serves and touches my brethren's homes? I think the recognition here that one day, one day I'm going to have to give an account for how I stewarded the stuff that God put in my life. I, I, I find that to just be a, a truly terrifying thought in some ways. But it carries with it a great responsibility. How have I stewarded that nice house that I've been blessed with? How have I stewarded all that good food that's in my refrigerator and in the pantries? How have I stewarded all the time and all those precious hours that God has given to me on this earth? I think the thought of that, that serves as a powerful motivator, at least it does for me, to use those blessings to serve And to benefit the family of God. You know, what if on the day of judgment? What if on judgment day God says, Hey, hey, I I gave you that nice house. And and I gave you all those hours to live on this earth. And I gave you the good health to go along with it too. And, And I gave you all of those people down there in that local congregation. All those people that you could have helped and you could have encouraged on a much deeper and more personal level, and those people then in turn, they could have done the same for you, but instead you just kind of closed yourself off from them. As soon as the final amen was said, you shook a couple hands, and you darted out the door, and we didn't see you until the next week. Come on, what were you doing there? You never really shared yourself. You never really gave of yourself. You never ministered and stewarded. The blessings that I entrusted you with. You are a poor steward. I wonder how many people is going to hear that on the Day of Judgment. What a rude awakening some of us may be in for when the reality sets in that when you distance yourself from God's people, you actually distance yourself from God. Now, of course, there are just a number of ways in which this sermon can be applied and be practiced. And some of you, I know, in preparation for knowing what I was going to be preaching on today, some of you have already made plans to apply this sermon this afternoon. And that's wonderful and that'll be amazing. And Lord willing, we're going to punctuate all of these thoughts this evening at 6 o'clock. And we're going to have then even more opportunity to put these words and these ideas into practice. But I'm going to tell you, even if you don't have plans with other Christians this afternoon, even if you don't have plans with other Christians this evening, if nothing else, What needs to happen for all of us right now, those of us who are the members of the Lakeside Church of Christ, is we need to just be making a firm and solid commitment that we are going to grow in this respect. I said it last Sunday night. I'll say it again this morning. I think we do. At least it's been my observation. that I think folks here do do a good job of this. But we can do even better. We want to grow in this area. We want to be the kind of people who say, you know what, I am not satisfied with a mere superficial relationship with the other people who make up this local family. I am not content with just a little, Howdy doody, good to see you, glad you made it Oh, see you again on Wednesday night. I, I'm, not, I'm not content with that kind of rapport, with the very people that I am planning on living in heaven with for all of eternity. I want more, and I need more. What we need to decide right here and right now is that we're going to be deliberate. And that we're going to be intentional about growing closer to our brothers and our sisters. Is there maybe just, maybe just start with one person. Is there one person or one couple, one family in this congregation that I can begin deepening my relationship with them starting today? Maybe I can't get around to everybody. It's a big group. A lot of people. Can't invite everybody over my house all at once. But is there somebody that I can start with and I can start today? And then one by one by one. I can grow closer. I can grow closer to this spiritual family here. You know, it is astonishing to me to consider that the head of this spiritual family, Jesus Christ, that He wants to be close to us. In fact, He wants that so much that He was willing to leave His perfect home. He was willing to leave the glories and the perfection and the comforts of heaven in order to come here and to author and to make possible the way for us to be saved, for us to be forgiven of our sins, for us to then have the opportunity to go and to live with Him and live with His Father in their house for all of eternity. And this morning, if you have never responded to the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus the Christ by your obedience to the Gospel, then you need to know that He is inviting you to come this very moment to accept His generous offer of salvation, to come to Him and then receive that eternal home in heaven. Man, talk about being in each other's homes now. That's great. What's it going to be like when we get to be in God's house forever and ever and ever? I want to be in that number, don't you? If you're not a child of God. If you've never been baptized for remission of your sins, all things are ready this morning for that to be done. You can do that relatively quickly. We'd love to assist you in doing that. Maybe you are a child of God. Maybe you've become distant from the Lord. Maybe you've become disconnected from your brothers and sisters and as a result, you've not been living as you ought to as one of God's children. Repent. Repent, brother or sister. Make a new commitment that you're going to start serving the Lord in a better way. You're going to get connected. You're going to get bonded to your brothers and sisters and we're going to help each other as we try to go to heaven. Whatever your need may be this morning, you simply just need to make that known. You can do that right now by coming to the front while we stand and while we sing.